one of you is the monster. Monster? We're British, you know. Hello, I'm Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. We are a, a very, very British horror. horror. And um, for the nationalists amongst you, we're a very English, Scottish, Welsh and Cornish horror. Yes, that's that's going to be entirely relevant to somebody that listens to this in eight or nine years' time. Who won't even know what British means. Who won't even know what we're on about. Okay. Okay, speaking of British then, uh, do you want to tell us what the film is we're covering today? Gatwick Express. <laughs> okay, and that, that's uh, an exciting film about a train that delivers people to an airport every 14 minutes from London or something, is that right? But the prices are pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my transport joke. No, we're really going to be looking at Horror Express, which is an Anglo-Spanish horror film from the early 1970s. Yes, uh, I was going to say it, it is quite Spanish. I was, when I started watching the film, I, I, they, they had some of the credits pop up at the beginning. I was thinking, is this really British? got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and then there's like several other more Spanishy sounding names. But it was filmed in Spain. It was filmed in Spain and the director's Spanish. But the producer's um, not, I think. No, the producer's called um, Bernard somebody or other. <laughs> yes. Yes. Whose name I can't remember. Don't worry, I, ha- I have it in front of me. <laughs> Bernard Gordon. That's it. Well, that, that's a very Spanish-sounding name. Uh, American. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, this film does count as uh, as, as Anglo-Spanish. I didn't make that up. It is officially uh, a UK-Spanish co-production. It is. So, it does count. And um, also, it comes from the early 70s, as I said. And I find... That a lot of really interesting films were made in this period, like the last few years of the the horror boom. Um, a lot of the most innovative, because it was the boom was coming to an end, so a lot of the most innovative horror films ca- came out in this period. And it's very easy to to, to to name some some of the classics: Don't Look Now, Wicker Man, Yeah, Jack Lady, nineteen seventy two. Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. My argument's just fallen over, hasn't it? No, they're all classics. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, anyway, I, I think I think probably of the great British horror boom from the the late fifties to the early seventies. It was the early seventies. A lot of my favourite films come from. In fact, the sixties were a bit of a kind of middle period. Not really. <laughs> I mean, we obviously lots of great horror films, but uh, more, more in the early 70s, I find, than the entire of the 60s. Just me. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. And as, as um, uh, obviously, spoiler alert, but obviously, uh, around that sort of time, there was they were starting to experiment by bringing in uh, little bits of sort of a sci-fi elements to it and other little genres. So things weren't necessarily always... Undead creatures and that kind of thing, as we shall see. That's right, but I think we'll start by by talking about the, the stars of Horror Express. Okay. Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. 
um, who you may have heard of from a few other horror films. Who? <laughs> what I particularly like about this period is that producers could afford to have both Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in the same film. And quite often as well, they tended to be um, on the same side, as opposed to necessarily always against each other. Yeah, maybe they did cooperate a bit more later on. I, I particularly like that. I particularly like them to be on the same side. I know they, yeah. they, they, they often weren't, but here they're, they're, they're um, two academics. They are. Yes. Christopher Lee's professor. Well, Chris is, Christopher Lee has. Um, He's Professor Saxon. Yeah, but doesn't he also have some? Because uh, everyone keeps referring him to him as a, your eminence, an excellency, an excellency, which suggests that he has some. Uh, I think that's just deference to his um, to his upper class Englishness. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I, I keep wondering if I'd missed some some uh, comment on him being royalty or no, I, I, having some title other than just being an academic. Although he is Sir Alexander Saxton, okay. but I mean, knights of the realm aren't eminences no. or excellencies. An excellency is um, an ambassador. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he's definitely not the British ambassador to Peking. Or, so, um, no. To be fair, though, I do know some academics that would probably insist on being called uh, Excellency and Eminence. I prefer. That's just uh, academics for you. I prefer God Emperor of the Universe. Yeah, I know a few academics <laughs> that would be happy with that as well. <laughs> A few that probably wouldn't be happy with that. Wouldn't be going far enough. But anyway, enough slating academics. There there are some that are are not megalomaniacs. Fine, too. (laughs) Uh, Peter Cushing also plays an academic. An academic called Dr. Wells. Yes. Funnily enough, my GP is also called Dr. Wells. Yeah. There you go. I don't think there's any significance in, in that. And... Unless, no, I'm not. I'm not, I don't, I'm not proposing to explore that avenue any, any further. I just thought I'd throw that. Out there. <laughs> um, but oh, well, I alluded to the fact that producers could afford them. I suspect by this time Peter Cushing's fee had come down somewhat. Yeah, well, it was quite interesting. Peter Cushing was very nearly not in this film because this was apparently one of the very first things he was offered around the time of uh, his his wife Helen passing away and um, apparently it was Christopher Lee that persuaded him to, to actually yeah, do this film yeah I mean it, it, it's sort of known pop, the the um, don't say um it's known that he threw himself into his work after yeah. Helen's death but this was right at the start of, of that, so um, oh, I did it again. So, <laughs> so, so he he was absolutely on the cusp of a, a period of being a, a, a workaholic, but he's not quite there. Yet. No, no. So yeah, so apparently Christopher Lee had, did have to persuade him, and, and, and he did it apparently by reminiscing about how much they'd liked working together previously so 
which is well known, and Christopher Lee. And also, uh, they had had him over. Christopher Lee's family had him over for Christmas, apparently. That's interesting. It's interesting. I didn't know that actually. Uh, and, and around that sort of time. Obviously, their 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 real friendship is is very well known. Yeah. And Christopher Lee to this day gets all misty-eyed talking about Peter Cushing. He does. But you can see, you can see in this film they have a real chemistry. It's not yeah. not just this is, oh, Dracula is more than fifteen years. No, not more than fifteen years. Just under fifteen years prior to this, there's no way that they're in Horror Express together because of Dracula. Yeah. They've become by this time a cinematic double act. We we saw them in the mid sixties in Doctor Terror. Yep. A few podcasts ago ago. And and there weren't a double act then. No. I think that no. was more these are the two stars of of, of Dracula. Yeah. And yeah, we've got right. we've got some other horror stars, some other stars. But now early seventies they're they're in it together because they're a double act. Yeah. But Peter Cushing has all the best lines in this film. And, and, and he, <laughs> he does. He, he he comes across... It's an amazing performance, considering yeah. he was personally well, yeah. very unhappy. It's an yeah. amazing, sparkly he's, performance. He's very, yeah, he's very, like you say, sparkly. He's very uh, sort of cheeky and a little bit wisecracking as well. And uh, there's, there's, a few, there's a few great bits that... Um, the, the, you know, like when, when Christopher Lee comes into the compartment and uh, uh, finds that Peter Cushing is sharing with one of the nondescript women in this film, um, uh, and, and you know he, he's quite sort of you sort of think, well, hey, Peter Cushing's pulled. <laughs> and there's, a, there's, another, there's a really good line, um, actually. It's not Peter Cushing's. It's Miss Jones, played by Alice oh, yes, yeah. Reinhardt. <laughs> Is that he's been having dinner. He's been having he dinner says, with this this, yeah. this 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 young lady. Who's so well, there's a couple of there's a couple of yeah. himself a, there's a couple a of there's a couple of lines for, for, before you get to that one. First one is um, I, I think this is where the policeman. And I'm not going to really remember any of these characters' names, but the policeman comes up and, and asks Inspector him. Inspector Miral. Yeah, asks him, are you, "Are you a doctor?" To which Peter Cushing replies, "Ask me after dinner," which I thought was quite good. Yeah. And then there's a line that you're alluding to, which is, um, or "Do you want? Do you want to say what it is?" Or Where he says something like, um, "I, I, I need your help, Miss Jones." Yeah. So she says, <laughs> "At your age, I bet you do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in reference to his chances with the beautiful young lady yes. he's been having dinner with, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but that's quite funny. The, the the very best line in this film comes comes towards the end, and and and, and in fact, our, our, our listeners have been hearing this line. They they have yes. <laughs> One of you two might be the monster. Yep. Monster, but we're British. <laughs> Or, or words to that effect. Yes. Yeah. Very, very well delivered. One of the great, one of the great lines of, of British horror. Probably yes. second only to "The Devil Has Sent Me Twins of Evil," <laughs> which we can't use in our opening sequence because it's also a piece of fishing line. I love yeah. Peter Cushing. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons I, I 
I love this film. I love this film. It's because Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee are both at their absolute peak. Um, Christopher Lee? Yeah. He, he, I mean, it's not a stretch to imagine Christopher Lee as quite a haughty, aristocratic kind of man. No. Like quite short with people, <laughs> going around ordering other people around, not having much time for anyone. <laughs> but he's also got a lovable side. Yeah. He's, also, he's also quite, you know, his heart's in the right place. It's also his entire fault that this film happens at all, or the events in this film happen. Yeah, but he, yeah, that, that's traditional though. He's a scientist pushing back the boundaries too far. He he also has some great lines. Uh, one of the things that this does this film does have is it, it has it does have a reasonably it serves its two stars quite well and gives them a lot of the best lines and well three stars because there's a there is a third. Let's talk about him. Well, in a sec, I was just going to try and drag out one of the lines I, I, I really liked, um, uh, which I really liked, and it's not necessarily funny, but it's, it, it just it highlights Lee's character in this, and it's actually quite a good line. Was there's a point where I think it's again one of the nondescript women. Um, uh, you can tell what I thought of their characters, where he's talking about evolution, and she says, "I've heard of evolution." It is immoral. And he says, it is a fact, and there is no morality in a fact. <laughs> and I just love that line, because the way he delivers it is just obviously better than I delivered it there. But he just says it as an outright statement, as if to say, right, enough is enough. You're not going to talk about morality anymore. It's, it's a theme yeah. of the film, so science versus religion. Yeah. Which is it's actually explored quite well. It's not. Yeah. It, it it could be crass, but this isn't crass. This is a really well written film. Yeah. Really well cast as well. So the best, um, is gotten out of the script. But it's it's a good script. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about Tony Savalas. Okay. It's it's a guest appearance, really. It is because he he doesn't turn up until about an hour in. He's in it for about ten minutes. Yeah. Before he gets killed, um, and briefly. After that, as a, as a zombie, yeah. And what's amazing about him? Because it's, it's all charisma with him. Because virtually every line of dialogue he delivers makes no sense at all. <laughs> no. He, uh, he, when he, he first he, appears, he, he seems everything he says in that very first scene he appears in. I, I I remember thinking about it and just thinking, what? How does he know that? What is he on about? What? I don't get. What, but, but but who cares? Because he's really good. <laughs> He does spout incoherent nonsense, <laughs> but you know, with panache, and I, I like that. It is. I'm wondering whether it was there's a, there's an um, element of it that was improvised. Obviously, a completely different kind of actor to Cushing and me. Yeah. And the script is so tight that you think it's a bit strange to have suddenly someone talk, you know, gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And and I I wonder if he was just trying to give a a flavour of what the lines might possibly be without actually delivering any of the ones that he actually had <laughs> written down. <laughs> uh, but, you, but you immediately get a handle on his character, which it, it sort of didn't, it didn't quite twig at first, but when he's first introduced, he's, he's in an outpost, uh, of, uh, I presume some sort of station along the route of the, the train line. And... Um, He's a, a a Cossack, isn't he? So I don't quite, I don't, my my Russian history is not great, so I don't quite quite remember the the role of 
the Cossacks necessarily. Um, but he he he's he's there with his men. But the, the, the bit right at the beginning where when he first appears, when when the the station master is telling him about the the, the little telegraph thing that's come through, or, or whatever, and he 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 appears from underneath what looks like some sort of blanket or whatever. And it's not until a few minutes in when you notice there's actually a woman with him. And and he's it's right nice. next to where the station master is. And you're thinking... It, it's, a co- it, it's a cosy arrangement they have. Yeah, and it's just it just gives you a real insight into what his character is like almost immediately, which, which I think is really good. And I, I have lambasted him for talking gibberish, but there is actually one very well-delivered line which is the Countess, says, who has stopped this train? Or have you sent to Siberia for this? Yeah. Yes. And he turns around and says, I'm in Siberia. Yeah. <laughs> it's been the Trans-Siberian yeah. Express. <laughs> Except he delivers it in a much uh, over, more over-the-top way than that. Well, he does, yeah. yeah. And I think he probably adds, who loves your baby? To <laughs> uh, Kojak obviously was after this. <laughs> it's true. He wasn't famous for Kojak then. It's true, but... He's in this film, as I understand it, because he made uh, a western, sp- well, allegedly a spaghetti western, although yeah. I suspect probably, well, I suppose, yeah, yeah. Sp- spaghetti western. Well, no, it wouldn't be spaghetti. It would be like a, um, oh, whatever food they eat, a tapas western. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, something called Sanjo Panza. Yeah. We, no, Pan- Pancho, Pancho Villa. Sorry, I've got it here. Sancho Panza something else, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that it was around the same time and they actually used... Didn't they use some of the same sets or something? Or they used something that was the same? The, apparently the train the train sets. Right, okay, yeah. From it. I think it seems that there's a there's a story that the train set is from the film Nicholas and Alexandra. It's not. No. It's from, no. It's from um, Pancho Villa. Which I've never seen. But that does properly star Tony Savalas. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... But of course he was he was famous as well. He'd been Blofeld in On Her Majesty's Secret Service by that point. He was in Kelly's Heroes. Kelly's Heroes? Is yeah. he in that? Is day, day, yeah. is he, he's in Dirty Dozen. Is that afterwards? Or? Um, I'm trying to remember. Hang on. Uh, uh, I, 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 I say he's in Dirty Dozen. I don't know that he actually was, but I seem to remember that he was. I think that might be a little bit later. Or we may not. Dirty Dozen, that was before, yeah, 1967. Was okay, yeah, so he was in that. He plays a complete psychopath in that. Yeah, think. yeah. But he's, he's, just, he's just very memorable in this, in the short time he's there. And he's a complete psychopath in this. And he, he's almost... More brutal than than the actual monster in this, because at least the monster appears well later on appears to have some sort of purpose, even if it doesn't make entire sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, this, this guy obviously is, we can talk about the monster and its its purpose a bit later on, but I'd like to talk about the rest of the cast it's quite difficult because these are Spanish yeah. actors like, yeah. like you, you say their work is completely unfamiliar to me but um, there's a guy called Alberto de Mendoza yeah 
who plays the equally unpronounceable father Pujardov. Yeah. Well, no, that's not how it's said, but yeah. um, he's he's basically playing Rasputin. Yeah, he, 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 he's this kind of priest slash monk who is obviously the spiritual advisor of a count and countess who are actually Polish, uh, Petrovsky. Yeah. Um, in, in this, but he, he he looks like Rasputin and he's just craziest yeah. Rasputin. Yeah. And, and he which has leads a, to my my a bit of advice to anyone out there is never trust a priest that looks like Rasputin. I think that's the the, the advice you've got to take from that. It's good advice. Yeah. He he, he does quite quite a good job, and the the priest. Well, I, I remember him as being just crazy. Yeah, yeah. But his character's not that crazy. He's just... Well, he, there's kind of an explanation for, 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 for what he does, given. But it's, I don't find it very co- convincing. But in the early scenes, when he goes on about it's evil because he tries yeah, to draw the yeah, cross yeah. on the package and it can't... Yeah. And, and, he says the devil is abroad and there's evil at work and all that stuff. Well, he's right. He's completely right. So yeah. <laughs> I hadn't realised just how completely right he was. It's Christopher Lee who's totally incorrect yeah, and wrong yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and bringing doom upon them all. Yeah. But then the the, the priest, unfortunately, when he um, confronts the monster, whom he has correctly identified as purely evil, he decides to worship it and be its follower and acolyte. Yeah. Which doesn't make much sense. I wasn't totally convinced by that and why that was. But then the explanation is that he he was a man of God that loved the Countess more than his religion. Yeah. And I'm not totally sure how the fact that he loved the Countess has anything to do with him completely completely turned into evil at the first opportunity. <laughs> I guess so, only that I guess... Uh, but I don't know, I guess I guess the chicks love a bad guy, I suppose. It's a totally... <laughs> maybe that's it. There's a really big spider just ran across our um, recording studio. Very atmospheric. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so... Um, I, I, I guess that's what it is. I guess maybe he thought, if I, if I get into... Because yeah, again, he's been a priest his whole life, so he he missed out on the the, the stage when you're about say 17, when you you think that you, you know maybe reading up about Satanism and I, the I'm, occult is cool. I'm pretty might convinced. Get you some girls. George Lucas watched this film, <laughs> saw the priest, saw his conversion to evil, and thought that's what happened to Darth Vader. Yeah. Which is why in Revenge of the Sith, yeah. Anakin turning evil makes no sense either. Yeah. <laughs> it's <not laughs> it's like. A, Flick a switch. Yeah. I'm evil yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, the other thing is that um, was was he a was it a count that he, he seemed to count countess or those are the people he was travelling with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I imagine that they kind of. I mean, he he seemed to hang around them a lot. And they just seem to constantly wind him up, or the count seemed to constantly wind him up all the time. And maybe he'd just had enough. Because they'd kind of been fun. I mean, imagine, like. Which is not reproducing the Rasputin dynamic, because. No. Rasputin was a uh, charismatic charlatan, wasn't he? Who had the uh, yeah. Tsarina completely under his power. But, but yeah. this, this, this kind of wannabe Rasputin. It was, it was a bit of a shame how he carried on, I thought. 
Which, which one? Rasputin. Rah, 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 rah. Rasputin. Russia's greatest love machine. <laughs> yeah. What, one more Rasputin reference whilst we're, uh, <laughs> whilst we're talking about uh, the famous historical figure and subject of a Boney M classic <laughs> song. Christopher Lee famously played Rasputin he himself in, in the Hammer film, Rasputin the Mad Monk. Yeah. And, and the two performances are not dissimilar. I wonder if Alberto de Mendoza was actually impersonating Christopher Lee as much as Rasputin. He, he may have been, yeah. Although that's probably unlikely. I think he would have been aware of Christopher Lee's film. He, well, maybe, maybe. I think Christopher Lee may have, may have found it slightly weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I liked it. I liked his performance. I thought he did quite well with the. Um, well, I say I liked his performance. Of course, with the Spanish actors, we're not getting their voices. No. Because, like many European films, in fact, one of the, the, the big problems a lot of people have with European films is the the poor standard of in the, of this period. Yeah. The poor standard of sound recording. Yeah. I I think there was quite a, there was hardly any live sound, if any, actually recorded when they did the the principal photography. And it's all post dubbed. Yeah. And Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Teddy Savalas do their own voices. Yeah. yeah. Not always the case. With these things, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of the Spanish actors did their own voices. No. Um, I, I think these were professional voiceover actors who did most of them. So while I'm yeah. praising Alberto de Mendoza's performance, not totally sure that was yeah. his voice. In fact, I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Just probably, I don't know, Wiley Coyote's voice. <laughs> <laughs> David Collins. David Collins. No. That'd be great. Just vaguely thinking of monkey for no apparent reason. Despite the fact that being a Japanese thing. Did David Collins do one of those? Was the voice of monkey? No, no, I love David Collins. David Collins, who never made a horror film, in my to my knowledge, but no, no. <laughs> but who uh, was in every cool TV series ever. He was, yeah. Um, including monkey. Um, Miriam Margolas did. Uh, Voices in Monkey as well. Well, I, I had there no idea. I had literally no idea. <laughs> I have anyway, seen. We'll, I have we'll, seen we'll that uh, for the Monkey podcast we're going to be doing. I think it is important though because I saw oh, there's a Sherlock Holmes, a German Sherlock Holmes film starring Christopher Lee when when it's not Christopher Lee doing doing his voice and it's really weird and just off putting. Okay. There's another one as well, I think, uh, Dracula and Son, where they didn't do his own voice. It's a sitcom. It's, uh, it, nah, it was after Satanic Rise of Dracula, he made a... a f- Is that uh, where, where Dracula and his son run a, 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 a sort of rag and bone yard? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes it is, yes. Yeah, you d- dirty old vampire. <laughs> yeah, that's how I remember it, that must be correct, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's almost unwatchable when it's not Christopher Lee's voice. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe why would you want to overdub Christopher Lee's voice? He has like one of the best voices ever. Because well, and because it was more expensive than just getting so. some session actor to do it. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I think we we should be grateful that it's their their real voices. Yeah. 
uh, uh, things have changed in European cinema. Obviously, now the sound recording is to the same high standard as as everywhere else. But yeah, it, it is it is something that that, that you. That, that really bugs me about quite a lot of not particularly horror films, but quite a lot of European films. Yeah. Because um, I, I like a lot of English people. When I, I prefer to watch a film made in Italy or Spain or wherever in Italian with subtitles yeah. than yeah. I do want to watch. Yeah. Italian actors dubbed over by American <laughs> voices. <laughs> Interestingly, though, the other way round, it works quite well because. Um, So, for instance, I went to see one of the Batman films when I was in, I'm sure it was a Batman film when I was in uh, Germany. I actually saw it in German. And the German actors that dub over the voices are much better than when it's the other way around. Because if you think about it, all the, the American films, there's a huge quantity of American films which are then dubbed into foreign languages. And they're obviously much better at it than the other way around. So it it almost looked as if it was dumped into it was made in, in, in German. Did it have English subtitles? No. How did you follow it? Well, I'd seen it before, but it was just quite good fun. <laughs> that sounds slightly pointless. So it was interesting. <laughs> I saw Downfall German film, loved yeah. it, brilliant film. Would, would have been ruined by being dubbed. There's probably a dubbed yeah. version of it, but I'd never watch it. I'd caution anyone, don't watch it. Yeah. But anyway, this, this, this film actually dubbed quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the cast don't really want to talk about anyone else, although I think um, so to avoid Martin that... Sheen was good. Ah, this is your Cassandra Crossing joke. Yeah. Oh, don't ruin it. No one's going to understand (laughs) it. (laughs) Basically, there's a film, I think in 1977, called The Cassandra Crossing, which has almost exactly the same plot as this film, except it's a contemporary film. And it's not a space alien. It's a... They have on board some, some medical research stuff which turns out to be a nasty disease but it, it's almost identical plot wise and it's a great film and I'd recommend watching it and it has Burt Lancaster and Sophia Loren and there's a rip off of Horror Express yeah I, actually I probably would watch that maybe not intentional but it is pretty close well a train setting it's quite a good dramatic setting. Yeah. It's a confined space. Yeah. Uh, Agatha Christie used uh, a similar setting to quite good effect, didn't she? You know? Yeah. That Poirot thing. Yeah. I'm saying that Poirot thing, obviously, no. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which itself was a very good film, and um, only. Uh, I'm not even sure if it predates this one. I didn't, oh. I didn't look it up. I don't think so. Is that uh, uh, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to look up um, Imagine the Orange Express now? But there's an element of who done it in Horror Express, but it's more of a Columbo than a Poirot. 
because we already know who the murderer is. Right. Yeah, so we, we, the Albert Finney one was uh, released in 1974. So Again, that's another film that rips off Horror Express. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's around that sort of time. I also ripped off Horror Express once writing a Doctor Who story that was based on it. Not that anyone's interested, but a third, a third Doctor story called The Red Death. You wrote, you wrote a third Doctor story? Yeah. It was, wasn't it was never, never put out anywhere. It was for uh, a friend's website. You should put it out. No, it was rubbish. <laughs> it's a complete rip-off of this film. Well, this film's actually in the public domain, so you're allowed to do that. Yeah, does public domain actually exist in this country? No. I'm convinced it does not for films. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very much American thing. The, the reason this find. film is even more prevalent on YouTube than many other horror films which are also available on YouTube is that in America this film wasn't copyrighted properly and is therefore public domain. Yeah. No, I know that, that um, yeah, public domain in terms of television programmes and films in this country just doesn't exist but obviously it does with books books can become public domain after what is it is it 100 years 70 years after the death of the author yeah something like that um yes whereas uh, films have to be owned by corporations and therefore are perennially in copyright yeah but yeah. not not in the US where, where there, are, there are a lot of public domain films yeah. but of course in the US if you've got a public domain film you can release your own DVD of it or Blu-ray of it, make it region zero so everyone in the UK and across the world can buy it. Therefore, it's then valueless everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So bad luck if you're the copyright owner in the UK of this film. Yeah. On the plus but obviously side, we would suggest buying the official UK region two DVD, obviously, if that exists. There was a blue, there was a Blu-ray that came out in 2010 of this. Was there? Apparently. Really? Yeah, I watched it okay. on YouTube. I've got, I've actually got, I've actually got a DVD of it, but I watched it on YouTube this time. Well, I watched this on YouTube. <laughs> it was, it was quite a bad quality version that I ended up watching. I think it was a bit, it was a bit like the the old days of slightly dodgy VHS videos. It's quite nostalgic. I, 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 I mean, my YouTube version was was fine, but. It makes me laugh when they say on YouTube they say HD and then the highest quality is 480p. Yeah. But that doesn't matter anyway because it's clearly been taped off like a, uh, a VHS or something that's obviously not 480 um, pixels anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, yeah but I, I, the problem with being public domain is I suppose it wouldn't pay anyone to restore it. Although no. the Blu-ray might be absolutely pristine for yeah. all I know. I don't know. Right, hey, welcome to a, a very British techie podcast which we've now become. some people love that stuff you know some they people do. talk about you know, I know nothing about it I'm, I'm a philistine that doesn't own blu-ray players and things so it's not what's important is it no I tell you what's important the music yeah the, the, this film is a really effective use of music yeah although though it does is it has moments of uh, being very 70s I thought there's there's a little bit of wah wah guitar in 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 there, which is a shame because it doesn't need that. It's, no. got, it's got that kind of haunting whistle type theme, which is the um, that the monster has. 
But the other, the other thing as well, though, it, it, which which I think sets it apart from other film horror films of this type, this sort of slightly gothic horror film, is it's, it's quite rocky. It's got a bit of electric guitar in it as well. Not necessarily just the wah-wah stuff. Some of it is quite a nice mix of orchestral stuff and, and a little bit of kind of rock guitar in there as well. So the way the film opens is black screen and then the kind of yeah the the kind of um, whistling kind of humming kind of voice version of the, the theme, the monsters theme, and then the credits come, and then uh, I think there's train noise as well. Yeah. Uh, and the only opening I've seen like that. Otherwise, is Death in Venice, which has got it's a film about yeah. um, Gustav Muller essentially, yeah. um, and that's got kind of a, a long music intro before on over yeah. a black screen before you get to the credits, and that is a European film with weird dubbing as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah an e- excellent European film, with weird <laughs> dubbing, but yeah. <laughs> um, Generally, the staging of Horror Express is right up there. Yeah. Death of Venice is a great classic, obviously. It's very expensive, so the staging of that was a bit more. Yeah. Horror Express, low budget, but it doesn't generally look low budget. No. I think they had one set and they kept, re- they, yeah, they, they kept the, redressing the, it. Yeah, the, the carriage. But that's just, train set, that's yeah. just really clever, though. I mean, because you, you, if you didn't know that, no. you would never see it from the film. Well, it has, it has a, a variety of different carriage types, doesn't it? There's a restaurant car and there's, there's the, 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 the one with the corridor and the compartments. Yeah. And yeah, that was all the same, the same set and they just redressed it, did all the scenes on there and redressed it. Which is, which is very efficient. And of course, um, they shot the opening at the station, which is supposed to be like Peking station or something. Yeah. At a real station in Madrid somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's that's kind of the only scene that's not on the train. Yeah. And, and it really works. It really really does really work. It gives it, that that gives the, the film a bit of scale, and then you yeah. get the claustrophobic. I trapped on a train with a monster afterwards. So yeah. Really good. I thought the monster makeup was really good. Yeah, I was less convinced by the monster. I thought the makeup was was quite good. I didn't feel the monster. Was was creepy enough, but then, but then, given that he he the monster's not necessarily the main, it's more it's bad not, guy of the film, if you like. It, well, the monster's sort of, more it gets dispatched reasonably early. Doctor Who than yeah than like The Shining, but the plot is also quite Doctor Who. Yeah, funny that. Um, the uh, I thought the makeup was generally quite good as well. Like the 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 eye effects. Oh, it's horrible. It, it, it's really grim. I mean, if you look at it too long, you can see it, it's nice painted on. But I think the way they film it and edit it, so it's nice quick shots, so you don't get too much time to linger on it. Is it painted onto the eyelids? No, they're wearing contact lenses, so they all have, they all have to put on these white yeah, contact thought, lenses, which, oh, which are horrible. horrible. But the 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 kind of blood and everything is literally just kind of painted on underneath. And, and um, they've done a nice sort of, giving it a nice gloss. And well, it there's a, set, there's but a it, set piece where but it looks, but the way they cut and, and film it, it looks exactly like the, the set piece where the 
the monster gets in amongst the Cossacks. Yeah. And just wipes them out. Yeah. Really effectively done. Yeah. No actual... There's, no, there's not even any choreography. It's, no. it, it's kind of um, a series of tableaus of, yeah. of Cossacks yeah. being disarmed and murdered, basically. But really, really, yeah. really, like you say, it's all in the direction and the editing. It's not yeah. expensively staged. It's just very well done. Yeah. And in fact, in that particular sequence, it's all done in the dark. So you literally don't see anything else other than the actual Cossacks and the monster. Flick backwards and forwards. The Cossack falls over back to the monster. Another one. The monster trying to kill people in the dark, which yeah. is you know, atmospheric and you know, yeah. also cost-effective. While, while, while we're just on the subject of the monster, before we get too, too into that, um, this this film does, I think, win the award for the, the worst acts acting ever. I don't know if you remember, there's a, <laughs> there's a scene where the, the, the police inspector orders the the, the the guy to get on the train to get an axe and, and hack open the uh, the crate. Yes. And and the guy does some really bad axe act, acting. He puts no effort into it whatsoever. He's literally just holding it ever so gently, and he just does a very. He doesn't even swing back. Now you know he's trying to break a, a chain off off the box. So this is a big iron chain with a padlock. So you'd expect at the very least you'd have to bring the axe all the way back and swing it with a bit of force into the chain several times. But he, he doesn't do that. He he does he does little tiny uh, tiny little swings and, and a couple of taps it all just falls apart. And I just thought I'd point that out. Worst axe acting ever. If anyone else finds any more examples of anyone acting with an axe uh, that are even worse than that. Uh, you had Karloff and Die Wants to Die, but he could barely kind of hold it. So no, 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 but no, 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 no. This is far worse. Okay. This, this, this is, this is, this is like he's scared he might hurt someone with it. He's it could, really. Well, he might. It might have been a relax. That would have been cheaper than the prop act. It may have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, this film also has some of the very worst science. It, it, uh, yeah. Because, although the the actual concept of the monster is kind of an alien uh, intelligence yeah. energy that transmits itself via yeah. eyes, that's good. However, the idea that the experiences that the monster sees <coughs> yeah. are recorded in the plasma of the host creature and then can be looked yeah. at through a microscope if you've got a sample of blood, yeah. is not very scientifically plausible, no. I find. No, that wouldn't wouldn't actually happen. Uh, the the um, it reminded me a bit of was it in Doctor Terror? Or, no, was it no, no? Was it the Die Monster Die? One of them where they had a microscope and they looked at something underneath, and each each bit of whatever they were looking at had a, had a little brain or something. Was Which it, film was that? Was that was it the plant? That's the plant sequence of Doctor Terror. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> and he looked under it and a plan like this could take over the world. Yeah, and, he, and it reminded me of that, like just a really ridiculous thing. Oh, and then there's also this that the, the Peter Cushing's asser- uh, assertion that the uh, the brain stores all of its mem- all the memories and things in the brain causes the brain to crease and have the ridges. So if you wipe someone's memory, the brain goes back to being all smooth. 
As, as we see in Alzheimer's patients, of course. <laughs> yes, and people with amnesia <laughs> have, have lovely kind of rounding, smooth brains. So yeah, that was that was a nice bit there. Uh, well, you know, why bother doing any research? That's yeah. what that's what I say. <laughs> it doesn't detract from the film. No, no. But but getting onto the bit with the eyeballs, where, where you said about them doing that, they actually use some real eyeballs. And that bit, they they seem to delight in this scene of cutting back to the these. The, there were about three close-ups, yeah. poking in an actual eyeball, um, which uh, many many years ago I I was a school lab technician, and one of the uh, one of the experiments they used to do was dissecting eyeballs. Why is, why would you make kids do that? Which is which is just not nice. And the thing is, is is eyeballs are very messy, so I had to go and clean up after that. And kids when they have gruesome things decide that it's fun to flick the lenses everywhere and you get like lots of nice black goo as well which which generally gets everywhere it's horrible oh, God. <laughs> <the subject>. <laughs> <laughs> so so that 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 took me back a little bit all right then let's talk about the monster okay did you like the monster I like the concept of the monster. I I, I didn't feel he? that the monster was very creepy. He kind of. I think I think, it, do, I think it was quite do- good, and he looked very. But it looked like a man in a rubber suit, and they didn't do a fantastic job initially of 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 trying to disguise him or hide him. Uh, I think he becomes much more effective later on when he when he possesses some of the other the the other the other bodies. Well, so I think that works better. The, the idea is that Christopher Lee's found this two million year old ape skeleton, a kind of missing link. Yeah. Not skeleton, uh, like a frozen yeah. body yeah. Um, in an ice cave somewhere in China. And the ape itself is not the monster. It's no. this energy being that's actually been yeah. frozen with the ape. And when, yeah. when he thaws out, go on the train, it becomes yeah. active again. Yeah, it's, it's the thing. Yes, which predates this film quite comfortably. Yeah. Um, thing from another world. Yeah. I love that film. But it also, it also quite closely, the idea of this, this sort of, uh, in this film, it's an energy, but this this sort of transmitting alien presence that that can jump from person to person and protect, you know yeah. possess them is, is again very much from the original. Uh, is it is it John Campbell who's the, the the writer of Who Goes There, which is the story the thing is based on? That's a concept that's very much in there, which wasn't in the. 50s version, but then is resurrected again in John Carpenter's version. So it, it harkens back to the the, uh, the original um, the original story. Well, they're both good films. Which, yeah, which which is, is quite interesting. I don't know if that was an intentional thing, if someone spread that and stole that idea. Well, it could be. The yeah. um, Howard Hawks produced that the thing was a big hit. Wasn't yeah. it? Very well known. Yeah. If you're going to make a kind of sci-fi horror action, that's not going to be an obvious influence. Yeah. And 
actually the the ape body is ditched about halfway through, less than yeah, halfway through probably. Yeah. But the the man that, that kills it becomes the the next host. Yeah. And um it's the police inspector. Yeah. Which we know immediately, but which the um the other characters don't catch on for a while. That's the kind of Columbo element that's Yeah. 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 <laughs> um and he's got a kind of prehistoric ape hand which he has to hide. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. No, that wasn't particularly <laughs> necessary, was it? But No. The the thing I struggle with with the monster, and obviously he then you find out that the monster is absorbing the memories of the people it it, it jumps into. Which is quite good because Which is a nice idea. And and I, I, I struggled a bit though with the mon- monster's motivation. There's well, a point where he speaks to the engineer. He deliberately kills him to get the uh, the knowledge the about of, rocket ships. Well, the name of the person, or the or the knowledge of the person who knows more about rocket ships. And, and he kills is the count because of the steel, because he wants to get the knowledge of how to make the steel. Yeah, is that so? But then the the, the train is heading to Moscow. Is that right? And they don't want. He he doesn't want the train to stop because he wants to get to Moscow. Is that if I missed something, or is that because that's where this uh, this engineer that knows about the man, the professor that knows about the rockets, is? Or because uh, he did it sort of is it seems a bit vague. Well, I didn't think because I that. I think he just wants to carry on. He he. His obvious plan but, but is to build a rocket and and yeah. and get he back. Want, he wants to get back to where he he's he's come from. So but but the, there was also tricky. there was also a bit of a, a suggestion though that that he might want to sort of take over take over the world a bit. I think that was sort of suggested, or or if it wasn't, I've obviously read that into it somewhere. But that's what I didn't get because there was a little bit of a the monster sort of had quite a nice motivation and then there was this idea that he was going to be let loose within the population and well, go around killing lots of people. What's more dangerous even than him killing people is that he can turn his victims into zombies. Yeah. He reanimates their corpses and sets them off to our yeah. heroes. Uh, and that's in his third incarnation as Rasputin. Yeah. Um, third and final incarnation. Yeah. It really was. I mean, I'm not imagining it. This really was a kind of more of a Doctor Who type villain than a horror film. Yeah. Type yeah. And obviously, no, it definitely worked. Obviously, he was actually opposed to an actual Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, only Peter Cushing, but he <laughs> he does count. <laughs> so. But yeah, and it also seemed like the monster got stronger the more people it absorbed as well. Because well, he's accumulating. But, the knowledge, yeah. but his his sort of abilities, like it wasn't there wasn't any sign of him reanimating any of the corpses. It gets stronger and stronger. So yeah. presumably that, that there's some energy absorption. Yeah, yeah, as well as the memories. Yeah, yeah. I think it's quite nice a, a bit later on as well in that that scene because Christopher Lee gets to be a bit of an action hero with his with his shotgun and uh, charging. He's 
He's more blowing zombies up left, right. He and he's and really the main character, isn't he? Because he's a supporting character. He, yeah, and I, th- I think that that accurately reflects their dynamic in in the early seventies when yeah. Christopher Lee was the, the bigger star. Yeah. Right. I I don't really have anything else of you. Um. Well, let me just see. I don't think there was anything else. I think. I think we should go on to asking our three important okay. questions. Yep. So, uh, did you enjoy this film? Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. It's one of my favourites. See, you now it was quite interesting because I, 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 I had fond memories of it, and then I watched it again for this podcast, and there were bits where I was a bit. Meh. See, uh, but then, but then having talk, spoken about it now, I feel quite quite fond of it again. So I don't, I don't know. I think I did like it, but I think maybe I had. I was watching it thinking, I can't believe how good this is. I, I, I hadn't remembered it as this good. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think maybe I remembered it the the other way, and and I remembered it being creepier and, than it actually was. And it, it it's not a very creepy film, which leads us on to I guess the next question, which is, is it scary? No, unfortunately not. No, it has other merits. It does, yeah. Um, and. Thirdly, do you think it holds up today? I think it holds up, yes. In the same way that I think Pyramids of Mars holds up. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a, a good piece of sort of 70s sci-fi. Yeah. No, sort of masquerading so. as horror. Yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think it does as well. I, th- I thoroughly recommend it. And I also quickly want to thank James Fallows for nominating. Yes, thank you, James. Horror Express as the subject of our podcast. We're going to do this again. We are going to ask you to suggest more films for us. Yeah. But next time, we've selected this film ourselves. Well, I say that. Someone did once nominate this film. They did, yeah. But, you know, we we, 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 we decided that we're going to cover... Da-da-da! We're going to have a bit of a, a, bit of a uh, comic relief type... We're going to cover comic relief. We're going to cover comic relief. No, we're <laughs> going to. We're, after all the, the 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 many many months of horror, we thought it was about time to do something a bit more funny and a bit more up to date. It is comic and relief. I'm really isn't it? stringing this out. We're going to do like all a thousand hours of comic relief. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're going to do every episode of League of Gentlemen. Well, we could do that, but that's not what <laughs> we're, we're actually going to. going to. No, we are actually going to do Shaun of the Dead. The first is, in the Cornetto trilogy. And, and see if you get... When I saw this in the cinema, it was me and my sister went to see this. And um, I think there were about six other people, maybe six or eight other people in, in there when I saw it, which I don't quite know why. There was one bit where I was laughing out loud and I was the only person in the cinema laughing out loud. See if you can guess what that bit was. And, and put it on our Facebook, Twitter pages and let us know if you uh, can guess which bit I, I found funny that no one else did. I Chris, bet. you can't guess now. I, 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 we're going to save that for next off time. Air, off air, you can see if you I, can... I'm pretty sure I've got this, but I'm going to... So, so, obviously, if you want to do that, you can contact us uh, on Facebook, where we're a Very British Horror, or on Twitter, which is at Very Brit Horror, uh, or you can look at our, our, our blog as well, which is a Very British Horror, blogspot.co.uk. So... 
uh, yeah, as usual, do give us feedback. We do have an email address, which I've forgotten as well, which is a very British horror at gmail.com. So if you do want to ramble endlessly about something or have a moan about something, tell us how great we are or anything at all, you can you can email us there. Um, and, it, and, and you may we may even read your email out if it, if it's particularly good. I'd love to do that. I think we should which do that. Which would be great. First email we receive after this podcast, we'll read out. We will. Except if it's really abusive. <laughs> no, especially if it's really abusive. That's, well, um, okay, if it is really abusive. I mean, don't abuse it just for the sake of it, but you know. <laughs> no, right. The, the, the other thing, the final thing is, um, if you'd like to review us on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Yeah, please, please review us on iTunes. Um, because that, uh, that's good, and that's how you get up the iTunes chart, apparently, by getting reviews. There's an iTunes chart? Yeah, iTunes podcast chart. Well, I want to get to the top of that, so re- please review away. <laughs> <laughs> Alright then, so on that note, uh, I, I'm going to say uh, I've, that I'm again, doing this the wrong it, way it around. It doesn't work if you say it first. <laughs> <laughs> it does work. I'm going to say it first. Go on then. Uh, I'm still Paul Monk. And I've been Chris Litton. <laughs> Good night. Good night. That really didn't work.